I'm Colleen Cosmo Murphy, founder of Classic Album Sundays. We tell the stories behind the albums that have changed our lives through our worldwide immersive listening events and our website, which hosts artists' interview videos, playlists, and blogs about our favorite albums. In this podcast, we explore my favorite album by the longest-running band in rock and roll, The Rolling Stones. They recorded their 1972 masterpiece, Exile on Main Street, whilst living in a villa in France, whilst dodging the taxman back in Britain. Over the course of several months, they recorded a double album that showcased their love of Americana, Despite the challenges imposed by Keith Richards' drug use and the revolving door of guests that included musician Graham Parsons and writer William S. Burroughs, stay tuned for the full story. Once you have listened to the podcast, I encourage you to listen to the entire album following our listening guidelines. And in this way, you can have your own classic album Sundays at home. The album was created after a trying time for the band, and maybe it was these challenges that unlocked some creative genius. In 1967, they released the contrived musical kaleidoscope of their Satanic Majesty's Request, hot on the heels of the Beatles' revolutionary Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Although it featured some great songs, it wasn't the Stones' greatest moment, as they didn't allow themselves to do what they do best, gritty, raw, rhythm and blues-driven rock and roll. This was duly noted, and they did an about turn with the ensuing Beggar's Banquet. Keith Richards noted this as the moment the band had finally graduated from puberty and left their teeny bopper days far behind. In the last month of the decade, they performed at the disastrous Altamont Free Concert. There were high levels of violence at the concert. Even Mick Jagger was punched in the head within seconds after emerging from his helicopter. But it went from bad to worse, as the Hells Angels, the biker gang the band had hired for security, murdered an 18-year-old who had attempted to go on stage with other fans. With additional accidental deaths caused by hit-and-runs and drug overdoses, it seemed that Altamont had heralded the end of 60s idealism. The day before this sad turn of affairs, Let It Bleed was released and was yet another star run. It featured a cover of one of the Rolling Stones, especially one of Keats Richards, biggest inspirations, Robert Johnson. Here's Johnson himself with a song covered by the Stones on Let It Bleed, Love in Vain. And I found her Yes, 
start breaking down. The stuff I got to bust your brains out, baby. Ooh, it'll make you lose your mind. The legendary blues guitarist Robert Johnson, who inspired so many blues-based British guitarists, including Keith Richards, with Stop Breaking Down, which was covered by the Rolling Stones on their album Exile on Main Street, our classic album of the month. Just before Exile was released in 1972, the Stones put out Sticky Fingers, their first release of the new decade, and the first on their own record label, Rolling Stones Records. Finally, the Stones were able to take full creative control of their artistic endeavors. But it also meant that they had to take a good hard look at their business and financial affairs, and it certainly didn't look good. First of all, they had inadvertently signed over the copyrights of the entire Stone's 60s catalog to their former manager, the notorious Alan Klein. Secondly, as high earners, they were due to pay 93% tax under Wilson's labor rule. Being bad boy rock and rollers accustomed to a high rolling lifestyle and still collectively under the age of 30, they didn't bother themselves with these types of mundane affairs and had rightfully or wrongfully assumed that somebody else had dealt with it. Well, that wasn't the case, and they found themselves in the position to either pay up or leave, so they exiled themselves from England. Rip this joint by the Rolling Stones, which is exactly what they had to do when they exiled themselves from England and decamped to France. Jagger ensconced himself in Paris with his new and heavily pregnant wife, Bianca. Bill Wyman and Charlie Watts begrudgingly left behind their settled English lifestyles and its corresponding comforts and set up their respective homes in the French countryside. Mick Taylor, on the other hand, was delighted as he flew to France in the band's private jet. And in keeping with his expensive bohemian lifestyle, Richards rented Nelcott Villa in Villefranche-sur-Mer near Nice. As they couldn't find a great recording studio in the vicinity and were hesitant to use translators, they decided to set up a makeshift studio at Nelcott and brought over the mobile recording studio that they and other bands like Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple had used when recording at Jagger's Stargroves estate. In some ways, the new setting afforded the Stones more of a carefree lifestyle. Keith Richards could take his young son to the local zoo, as he was not widely recognizable in France. They even went water skiing. Sung by Keith. 
Keith Richards. The summer of 1971, that's happy. Showing a somewhat relaxed state of mind in the chilled out atmosphere of southern France. As I said, in some ways, this new environment led to a more carefree lifestyle for the Stones. But in other ways, the setting was less than ideal. It proved difficult to get all of the band members in the same place at the same time to record. Watts lived over six hours away. Jagger didn't like leaving Bianca in Paris. And Wyman was getting increasingly frustrated. And Richard's new daily heroin habits certainly didn't help foster a productive atmosphere. Keith, Anita, and Pal's new dependency resulted in thousands of pounds worth of heroin flowing through the villa. In the dock stones in exile, Richards was philosophical about his habit. I did it basically to hide, to hide from fame and being this other person, because all I wanted to do is play music and bring my family up. With a hit of smack, I could walk through anything and not give a damn. Celebrity friends like the naked lunch writer William Burroughs, Easy Rider screenwriter Terry Southern, and rising star Graham Parsons stopped by the villa for extended visits, and Graham Parsons' Flying Burrito Brothers' country rock style was a big influence on Keith. Parsons Flying Burrito Brothers with Christine's tune, followed by a Stone song where you can really hear Parsons' influence, Torn and Frayed, from the Rolling Stones album Exile on Main Street, our classic album Sunday's Album of the Month on Worldwide FM. I'm Colleen Cosmo Murphy. Now, we were talking about Richard's drug dependency, and he didn't always attend recording sessions while they were recording this album, but for that matter, nor did Mick Jagger or Bill Wyman, who didn't like the druggy environment. A rift grew between the heavy drug users and those who are not full-time users, like Charlie Watts, Wyman, and Jagger. The environmental conditions weren't great either. As there wasn't one big room in which they could record, band members were scattered in different rooms across the villa, with leads going down hallways and out of windows to the mobile recording studio. And the basement was hot and humid, so the guitars often went out of tune. Sometimes the electricity went off. They even penned a song about the lack of ventilation. The 
Stones with Ventilator Blues, a reflection on the hot and humid environment of their basement recording studio in the Nullcott Villa where they recorded a great deal of Exile on Main Street. Now, there were band members and musicians scattered in different parts of the house whilst recording, and engineer Andy Johns had to run from room to room to communicate with each one. As all of the musicians weren't always on hand, sometimes producer Jimmy Miller had to have a go on the drums and percussion. There were moments when only one or two stones would be present to record on a given song. In short, it was chaotic. But even though it was chaotic, Richards recalls in his autobiography, Life, all the characteristics of that basement were discovered by the other guys. For the first week or so, we didn't know where Charlie was set up because he'd be trying different cubicles each night. You didn't want to add electric echo unless you had to. You wanted natural echo, and down there you found some really weird ones. And somehow they managed to push through. Having their own studio meant they could record at all hours, and despite the extracurricular activities, they laid down some basic tracks down to tape. In the documentary Stones in Exile, engineer Johns recalled, they would play very poorly for two or three days on one song. And then if Keith got up and started looking at Charlie, then you knew something was about to go down. And then Bill would get up and put his bass at an 84 degree angle. And he would go, here it comes. They're going to go for it now. And it would turn into this wonderful God-given music. Black Angel, one of the few political songs written by Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. This one about the activist Angela Davis, who is facing murder charges at the time. And before that, Casino Boogie recorded at Nelcott and referencing the time they were spending at casinos in Monte Carlo. I should also give some special mention to some of the session musicians brought in to record. Keyboardist Nikki Hopkins was a Stones session regular who also played with Jefferson Airplane, Steve Miller Band, and Jeff Beck. And in-demand Texan session horn players Jim Price and Bobby Keys, who between them play with George Harrison, John Lennon, Eric Clapton, Buffalo Springfield, Leonard Skinnerd, and a host more. They both had a wonderful time amongst these skimpily clad women of southern France and in the villa that was party central. But after some time, the party started to dwindle, and people began to pack up and leave. Keith and Anita had got word that the police were aware of the druggy debauchery and were intent on arresting them if they didn't make a move. So the Stones then exiled themselves to America. Once in the States and with Jagger and Overdrive, they were very productive and finished recording all of the vocals and overdubs at Sunset Sounds in Los Angeles. The sixth stone, Ian Stewart, the one who Stones manager Andrew Oldham unceremoniously threw out of the band as his image didn't quite click, 
played keys on a few tracks. When it came time to mix, Jagger and Richards would each take their turn and would then argue over whose mix was best, but they finally got it done. And they also brought in Billy Preston and Dr. John on a couple of tracks. Let's hear what those two great musicians were up to around that time. Preston funking it up and out of space and before that Dr. John Black John the Conqueror and both Billy and Dr. John can be found sprinkling some magic on Exile on Main Street our album of the month now Exile on Main Street was in Jagger's words a sprawling gutsy work that unwound over the course of four sides their first double album the album almost sounds like a road trip across America as their blues-based sound had now expanded into other areas of Americana including country and gospel, along with the 50s rock and roll of Buddy Holly and Chuck Berry. It's my favorite Rolling Stones album due to the sheer expansiveness of it. Songs like Sweet Virginia, another influenced by Graham Parsons, and the Slim Harpo cover, Shake Your Hips, make me want to pack everything in, jump into a T-Bird convertible, and cruise across the southern states again. Favorite tracks from the Rolling Stones, Exile on Main Street, our classic album Sunday's album of the month. Now, I also want to give a special shout out to the album cover with shots by Robert Frank. So if you're not familiar with it, you can Google it right now. Jagger wanted to use one of the photographs from Frank's seminal 1958 book, The Americans, a collage of circus performers and freaks such as Three Ball Charlie, Joe the Human Corkscrew, and The Congo Jungle Freak. 
The back cover is another collage made by Van Hammersfeld, featuring new photographs of the band taken by Frank. Jagger wanted the imagery to reflect the band as runaway outlaws using the blues as its weapon against the world, with a feeling of joyful isolation grinning in the face of a scary and unknown future. When it was released in 1972, Exile on Main Street was judged harshly by the critics. Some felt that it was too expansive and needed a bit of whittling down. Even Jagger denounced it at the time, saying he was bored with rock and roll, and as the most experimental member of the band, wanted to set his sights further afield. But by the end of the decade, it was considered one of the Rolling Stones' best albums, if not the best. They had successfully met the challenges of their self-imposed exile to produce a work that continues to inspire not only their fans, but also other artists, from Liz Fair to Fish to Alabama 3 to Pussy Galore. In Dora Lowenstein's According to the Rolling Stones, Richards took a look back at the LP. Exile was a double album, and because it's a double album, you're going to be hitting different areas, including D for down, and the Stones really felt like exiles. We didn't start off intending to make a double album, we just went down to the south of France to make an album, and by the time we'd finished, we said, we want to put it all out. The point is that the Stones had reached a point where we no longer had to do what we were told to do. Around the time Andrew Oldham, their former manager, left us, we'd done our time. Things were changing, and I was no longer interested in hitting number one in the charts every time. What I want to do is good shit. If it's good, they'll get it sometime down the road. Thanks for joining me. And if you enjoyed this, please subscribe to our Classic Album Sundays podcast via your favorite podcast provider. And keep your ears open for our next one, The Sensual World by Kate Bush. And if you would like to find out more about Classic Album Sundays, head over to our website where you can find info on how to join as one of our Patreon members to attend our monthly online album club events and enjoy other perks like discounts at our in-person live events. I'm Colleen Cosmo Murphy, and now I encourage you to have a listen to Exile on Main Street by the Rolling Stones, and I suggest you follow our listening guidelines. Turn off your phone, refrain from conversation, turn down the lights, turn up the volume, and then listen to the album all the way through without interruption. Thanks for listening.